This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode, I interview authors about their latest works. Thanks to the fabulous people that have joined my Patreon group as page turners. I am so thrilled to chat books with you. If you haven't joined yet and you want to learn more, the link is in my show notes. My first bonus episode posts this week, and I would love to have you join. Thank you as well to the wonderful bookstagrammers who have shared about the podcast on Instagram. Kelly of Kelly Hook Reads Books, Renee of It's Book Talk, Katie of Katie Needs a Bigger Bookshelf, Bree of Sweet Honey and Bree, Brianne of One of a Kindle, Deb of Lone Star Words, Becky of Becky on Books, and Jude of NY Judester. I am eternally grateful for your continued support. Today, I am interviewing Amy Mason Doan about Lady Sunshine. Amy grew up in Danville, California, and now lives in Portland, Oregon. She's written for the San Francisco Chronicle, Wired, Forbes, and other publications. Amy has an MA in journalism from Stanford University and a BA in English from UC Berkeley. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes. Welcome, Amy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really looking forward to talking about Lady Sunshine. Thank you. Well, why don't we start out with you just giving a quick description for those that won't have read it yet? Sure. Uh, So Lady Sunshine takes place half in 1979 and half in 1999. It pivots back and forth between those timelines. And it's about a woman named Jackie who is living this very quiet life as a music teacher in Boston. And she's 37. She has a little basement apartment and a cat and a boyfriend who wants to marry her. We don't know too much about her, but we know that she she keeps people at arm's length, but we don't know why. And one day in 1999, she finds out that her aunt in California has died and left her a house on the California coast north of San Francisco. So she tells everyone it's no big deal. She's just going to go out there and pack up and get it ready for sale. Um, But of course, this is not the truth. It is a big deal because this is a novel. (laughs) (laughs) How boring would it be if it wasn't a big deal, right? Yeah, Jackie (laughs) just goes and packs up some boxes and the end. That's not the case. So. We, we begin to find out that there's a lot more than to the truth than what she's telling people, that this isn't just a house, that it's actually this sprawling property that's kind of iconic, that Jackie's uncle was once a famous musician, and he hosted gatherings there every summer in the 70s where he would support up-and-coming musicians and just host free spirits and all these wild people, that there are cabins and waterfalls on this huge property. And that it's sort of legendary. And then we also find out that Jackie spent one summer there in 1979 when she was 17 years old. And that she had been sent up there by her very rich family in San Francisco who kind of didn't want to deal with her misbehavior. And it was this life-changing summer, both the best and the worst of her life. Um, At one point, she thought she was going to stay there forever. But she fled. and, And we don't know why at the beginning of the story. So she, in 1999, she starts packing up. She's going to get away quickly. And then she realizes that her aunt, before she died, had promised a 
producer that he could record an album in the studio at this place. So she stays. She kind of wants to stay. And the place comes to life again in 1999. As we pivot back and forth, we find out what happened in 1979 between her and her cousin, Willa, with whom she had a very intense friendship. And we find out that there are secrets. And we find out that the truth of what happened that summer is not what Jackie has thought it was all these years. Her cousin fled at the end of that summer. We don't know why. And it turns out that Jackie, at 37, doesn't really know why. So in a nutshell, <laughs> that's the story. You know, the, the simple description is it's about the, the house where everything changed for her and reckoning with that change and, and going forward. And coming to terms with it, realizing yeah. that she, what she thought had happened wasn't what happened at all. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, something that we, we follow along with her as, as these secrets are unearthed. And some of them are actually in her uncle. Her uncle's name is Graham. And he was a very brilliant but tempestuous um, singer-songwriter. Some of these secrets are in his lyrics. So we kind of find these clues along with Jackie in his lyrics as she starts to, to realize um, that things weren't quite what they seemed with this family um, that she once adored so much. Well, and I think your perspective at 17 is so different than your perspective at 37. So mm -hmm. she realizes some of what she was watching and seeing happen had a totally different tone or there was other stuff happening behind the scenes that she wouldn't have really picked up on then. Yes, absolutely. There was a lot of hero worship when she was in her teens, when she first got there. And she was really craving a family, a, a different family from the one she had. You know, she came from this very stuffy background, very upper crust, San Francisco, Knob Hill. And then she found something different, uh, very accepting in this place. So she kind of idealized it back then. And so, yeah, the reckoning with, with that nostalgia and that idealism is a huge part of the of the story. Where did you come up with the idea for the story? And then was there any inspiration for the compound that Graham had created? Well, I came up with it. The, the seed of the story came out of a song that I love, um, a song that I've loved for decades. You know, in my I'm in my late 40s now, but in my 20s, I loved this song by, by Wilco called California Stars. And I used to play it all the time after I went through this, this really bad breakup. And I kind of found out the story behind it because I was obsessed with it. And it turned out the music was by Wilco, which is a Chicago band that I love. But the lyrics were by Woody Guthrie. And he had, when he died, Woody Guthrie, legendary folk singer, had left behind all of these unrecorded lyrics that were, you know, basically poetry. And his daughter, Nora, worked with bands that she admired and did this sort of tribute album with her father's lyrics, but new music. They kind of framed it in their own music. And that was the seed of the idea for the 1999 part of Lady Sunshine, um, because that's what happens. We have all these lyrics, and then we have someone with permission to create music around them and, and kind of bring them to life again. Because since he's died, Graham has become very popular, something that would have thrilled him in his, in his day. <laughs> exactly. What about the actual location? I mean, his, his true compound. Fleetwood Mac had a place called um, the Factory, I think it was called, um, the, or no, I'm sorry, the Record Plant, which was a little more urban, but it was in California, and it was, they hosted gatherings there. The idea of this mecca for free spirits and artists who were established, there's an established artist in the, in the book named Bree, who's this rock star, but they're also 
younger people who can come. Everybody's welcome there. And that was the vibe that anyone who had a pure heart and a love for singing and, and songwriting could come. So that was that was the other seed for it. And then I just made it a lot more rural, bigger, added waterfalls and you know, put it by the beach and uh, had a lot of fun with the the scenery. You know, that p- plays a big role in the story. It does. And I thought you really brought it to life. So I was sort of curious if you had based it on a place that exactly existed like it does, or right. if you took inspiration and created it yourself. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that because the scenery and nature writing is very important to me. And I'm a California girl at heart, even though I live in Oregon now. So I, the scenery, the location is based on Humboldt County which is very real. It's far north of even Napa. This is almost in Oregon on the coast. And I've spent a lot of time there. I didn't live there um, as Jackie does and her, her family does, but I basically took the studio and put it into that location with some, some real landmarks there because it's an absolutely stunning part of California that not a lot of people know about. It's, it's pretty remote. You know, I think I'm reading a book that takes place Close to there now, mm-hmm. the, the new book by Ash Davidson, Damnation Spring. Is yes. there a lot of logging up there? I haven't read it. Yes, there's logging. And okay. um, the there are there have been a couple of great books set there. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, in recent years. But, you know, we know San Francisco and we know certainly know L.A. But this area is just so pristine and it's close enough to San Francisco. In fact, they, they go down there you know, that it does play a role in the story. There's some some concerts there and such, but it's really cut off from the world, um, aside from being just breathtakingly beautiful. And that was important to me because both in 1979 and 1999, uh, we feel the time periods, but we're in the sandcastle, which is the name of this place. Uh, and it's it's just magical and kind of cut off from the cynicism of the outside world. Um, and that that's very alluring to Jackie. And to me, obviously. Well, I think we all do feel like it's very nice to get away from everything sometimes. Mm-hmm. What about research? What kind of research did you have to do? I spent a lot of time there on the the beaches. There's one, you know, famous beach that has a lot of sea glass. So I did some some little writing retreats there. I did a lot of research on singing and songwriting. I spoke to a wonderful woman at the Berkeley College of Music. She's credited in the book just to talk about analog recording because they're still doing analog recording in the the record studio. So I wanted to get those details right. You know, I'm a reporter from a long way back, so that's incredibly important to me. And then I also this is a little goofy and I don't know how many people I've told this outside of my family, but I wrote all the songs that are in the book. <laughs> no one will ever hear them because I am not um, a singer, but I just wanted them to exist. So all the fictional songs that are mentioned in the book, I wrote them and kind of recorded them. And, and I just had to know that they were real. So as far as the music goes, that was that was hugely important. That is very cool. <laughs> so now you need to find somebody to record them and then you'll have it. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm, I'm proud of them. And, and they, I love them in my own way, but I don't know if they'll ever see, get an audience beyond me. Did you do that simultaneously with writing the book or did you write the book and then take a break and write the song lyrics separately? Yeah, I had a lot of the story down. And then this is, this is kind of during the height of COVID. You know, I, I just, I started one day just kind of humming along to this one refrain that's kind of crucial because it sort of holds a little secret in it about what happened, not to give away too much. And then I just, I started writing a bridge and, you know, kind of researching the basics, the very basics of songwriting. 
And then I thought, well, I'm going to do this for all of them. And it became a bit of an obsession. So I think I did eight. Wow. They all had to exist. Yeah. Well, that's impressive. Like I said, you need to get them recorded. Again, you have not heard them, but um, <laughs> you no, know, they're pretty to me. And, you know, maybe they all sound the same, but I, I just, whenever I'm really struggling with writing or feeling like I'm not doing what I want to do, I remember the fact that to me, you know, a beautiful song is just the ultimate, the, the songs that are my favorites. And so I, I just have so much respect for songwriters and I, I, it just kind of puts everything in perspective. So to try my hand at it was really, was kind of special and I'm, I'm glad I was able to. That's very cool. I love this era of music so much. It's probably what I listen to the most. Mm -hmm. And what I've been fascinated by in recent times is the number of books that are starting to come out about musicians in that era. Why do you think that is? Well, maybe we're just getting to the point where that is historical fiction. You know, I, as someone who grew up in the mid 70s and, and loved, you know, listen to my parents' albums. I used to lie in our sunken living room and listen to the <laughs> albums and you know, Simon and Garfunkel in, in the book, Jackie is kind of into disco, 70s disco. That's her. And she loves like Donna Summer and, and Debbie Harry. But Willa likes folk music that kind of bridges 60s and 70s. So Willa kind of likes all the music that I especially loved. I, I don't know, maybe we're just far enough away that it, it has that haze, that golden haze of nostalgia. I didn't realize that I was writing historical fiction. That's how old I am. <laughs> I really didn't get it. And even though my previous two books, The Summer List and Summer Hours, had 90s timelines as part of them, this didn't feel that, it doesn't feel like that long ago to me. You know, this is my childhood. I'm, a, I'm younger than Jackie, but I just remember it so clearly. I love the, the craft of the singing back then. You know, I loved Daisy Jones and the Six, obviously, um, speaking about Fleetwood Mac and, and books inspired by that time period. Um, but I wrote this before that became a, a huge phenomenon. And I just, I, I love it. I mean, I, I think that everyone really appreciates that time period. And maybe there's a bit of an innocence there or that we, we wish, you know, that there was that innocence that we could still kind of experience again. I'm so curious. And it is interesting because with the publishing industry taking as long as they do to get books yeah. out, all of these books were written pre-Daisy yep. Jones, you know, so it's just kind of funny because yeah. you would think, oh, they're all inspired by Daisy Jones, but right. they aren't. And I want to clarify, I do not like 70s like disco. I like like <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> early 70s early into the 70s. 70s. Yeah. yeah, you know, Carol like King and right. Yeah. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. And I still love James Taylor and Jim oh, Croce, and, you know, all of those people. So I am not out here doing the disco. <laughs> so before everybody's sending me notes saying, how can you like disco? But second of all, you know, it's interesting to me because I always have heard that historical fiction is 50 years back. So like right. to me, I didn't take this as historical fiction. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I always think of historical fiction as, you know, World War II or, you know, it's, I, this is just the story that I wanted to write. And I've had the idea, you know, for so long um, since, be I mean, before I even wrote my first novel, um, I've wanted to write, you know, this Woody Guthrie song was was this idea, you know, I just, for me, what obsessed me even more than the time period was the idea of taking someone's lyrics, taking someone else's art and making it your own and, you know, adding to it or finishing it. How, how gutsy is that, but also intimate. And I just had so many questions about that. And, and that layers and layers of story I, I built on that became this story. And I have to say, I love Daisy Jones. I think that I, especially as a reporter, I loved how that was sort of archival. I loved the 
that it was all told in articles. So I, you know, any comparisons I've seen in reviews with that are very flattering to me, but I also think they're very different books. You know, it's music in seventies and it's just wonderful that there are so many titles kind of celebrating that era. I agree with that completely. I don't think your book, it doesn't remind me at all of Daisy Jones. I love both of them. And I I did love the style of Daisy Jones so much, the transcript and, you know, kind of different people's recordings and ideas of what they thought happened. And then the next person had a totally different perspective. So, you know, I loved the way she did that. It was different and not something you see a lot. But I think each of these stories tells their own story. And I'm never one to say this is like such and such because I feel like it kind of devalues both the one that was the original and then the newer one. But I just think it's wonderful that there's so much celebration of music from this time period. Agree. Yeah, I agree. And I have to say, I do, I do kind of like disco. I'm doing this countdown. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm not one of those people who was like burning the disco albums in that baseball stadium in 1980 or whatever that was in the last days of disco. Um, I like both a lot. So I'm doing this countdown of 70s music on my Instagram, which has been so much fun. People have such strong feelings about it. And I, I sort of did it on a lark as like a countdown to publication. I'm doing 20 song, twenty weeks, 20 songs. And now I realize 20 was a lot. I was like, <laughs> that is weeks. a lot. It and is. somehow I've missed that because I oh. follow you and I haven't seen it at all. You know, that's what I hate about the algorithm. There's so much out there. Is you just, you know, yeah, there is so much out there, but now I know and I will go track it down. But yeah, 20 weeks is a long time. Don't look at the disco posts. <laughs> I do like a couple. I mean, I love the BGs. I know as silly oh, as yeah. they are. And I love I Will Survive and It's Raining Men. I mean, you know, there are a few of those songs, but they're not ones I'm going to like, okay, I need to pull that song out. But if they come on the radio, I enjoy them. I'm not burning the records either. Agree. Like there's so much from that era that has yet to be discovered. And I don't, so this countdown is not meant to be anyone's top 20. It's kind of my top 20. And there, there are some songs in there that nobody but me probably remembers. And that is what's fun about it. In the back of the finished copy of Lady Sunshine, there's a playlist. With a side A, yeah, and I had so much fun researching that. So side A is kind of Jackie's songs, and side B is Willis. And this is kind of a fun story. Um, One of the songs is by this artist named Farron, Farron Foisy, who's brilliant and, you know, played at Lilith Fair, and she's Canadian. And But it's, you know, kind of stopped recording and might be a little unfamiliar to today's generation. But I included this beautiful song by her called Ain't Life a Brook. And I tracked her down because I just wanted her to know it was in there. She means so much to me. And so I was able to email with Farron, who to me is this huge figure that I admire. And that that has been a really joyful part of the book. And the part I keep coming back to as I get nervous about, you know, publication coming up and how will it do and all of that. Just remembering the joy in creating something that endures and that, that people will connect with. So, yeah, that's... I love her. And just if one person hears this song and is like, who is this Farron? Oh my gosh. And then looks up her catalog, like I'm thrilled. I don't know Farron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is from a long time ago. You know, she really has kind of receded from the scene and is probably super, super happy, um, which is why I wanted to make sure she was okay with me, including her song in this list, you know, this playlist and the Spotify playlist. And she was lovely. But yeah, she's she's played with everyone. She was very influential. She influenced the Indigo Girls and her music's gorgeous worth looking at. I think it's funny how some of those people, like I never knew of Eva Cassidy when I was Mm -hmm. younger, but I discovered her in maybe the last five years. And a couple of her songs are now my favorites. I just love them. And somehow I dismissed her. I mean, I was young, you know, so 
I just kind of knew the bigger names at the time and then the things that get played and on the radio or now in playlists and things like that. But it's fun when you come across some of those people. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, there's so much out there that deserves, you know, a second listen. Um, So that's been a wonderful part of the research and the writing of of Lady Sunshine. Well, what was the highlight of writing it? The highlight. Okay. This is going to sound a little odd, but I, I wrote a lot of it in a tent (laughs) in my backyard because we were in the height of COVID last year and I was I was on, doing some serious revisions and my daughter was doing school at home and my husband was working at home and he's on the phone all day and we have a very old house with very old ductwork so I could hear everything in the house and I I just decided to set up a tent in my backyard and right there I love my family it's just <laughs> but um this was something that I think I'm going to do every time now because I could focus out there. You know, it was just me and the birds. <laughs> that's that's the part I'll remember, although it sounds really strange. Just I really did, after thinking I wasn't going to be able to find the, the time alone with this material, with this story, I, I made it, you know, I found it for myself. And that brings me a lot of um, satisfaction, you know, just knowing that I was able to find it despite everything. Did you just sit on the ground in the tent? <laughs> No, it was so comfortable. Okay. I actually put a mattress in there and it's a very small old Kelty tent that I've had for decades. And it rains a lot here. So it's very weatherproof, but there was, there was a mattress and pillows. I had everything I needed. And you know, I had nothing that I didn't need. No distractions. My phone didn't work well out there. It was comfy. I'll send you a picture. There are actually some pictures on my Instagram of, of my little tent. Well, I'm going to be following all of your stories now on Instagram so that your stuff should show up more often. My disco and my tent. Well, maybe that was a good incentive to get you writing because you're like, Mm -hmm. I'm out here super uncomfortable, so I've got to get this done. (laughs) But it doesn't sound like you were uncomfortable. No, I I loved it. It was like my own little DIY writing retreat. um, And I was very fortunate to be able to do that. Well, I do think there's been a ton of talk about how much women were impacted by COVID and how it, you know, kind of completely rocked their worlds independent of everything else. But I mean, I definitely felt that way with three children, two dogs, my husband in and out. You know, I was like, there was no no minute of peace, let alone an hour window to be able to try to do anything. So getting my home back was probably the thing that I treasure the most about coming out of all of this. Yeah, it was really hard. It was hard to just get that space to think and not be interrupted and not know when everyone else in the household was getting their cup of coffee or whatever. And but I also like appreciating my family when they come home, you know, I'm happy to see them. And that's That's nice. You know, of course, we've been so lucky that we're all healthy here and knock, knock. And But it was rough. And I have fr- writer friends who would write in their cars or would go, you know, they would just sit in their parked cars to write because they would go in a closet, whatever. And I think as writers, if you're not making a lot of money, it feels like an indulgence, although it's not. It's your job. So the workspace division is something that I find very interesting, like who got the primo real estate in the house and who got the the coat closet. I find that very interesting. But I went to my backyard by choice, just just in case my husband husband didn't boot you out. (laughs) I chose it. Like I fled. I wanted it. And like, I did not want to be in the office that we have. So that was my choice. But yeah, it's been an interesting time. And I just hope we haven't lost a lot of women's creativity during this time. I agree. And I will say the flip side, to having everybody home and, you know, feeling like there was never any peace 
was that I had the best time with my kids. I mean, mm-hmm. it was such a wonderful time with yeah. my, my kids are older, you know, 20, 18 and 15. So we really had time we wouldn't have had. Yeah. And so that part was very nice. So it's just like anything, there's good and there's bad. Absolutely. Yeah. I lo- I'll always treasure this extra year with my daughter and I just feel so close to her, especially. I agree. It's been very nice. Well, do you have a favorite of the books you've written? Oh, that's so hard. Well, it's this one right now. It's always whatever I'm just doing. Um, and I'm I'm working on a fourth. So Lady Sunshine's my third book and is absolutely my favorite right now because I'm talking about it a lot and it's still very, very fresh and Jackie and Willa and Graham and Shane and all these characters feel like my friends kind of walking around with me still. But I'm really getting into the fourth now. So that so every time it's what I'm working on, what I'm obsessed with. And it's hard to believe I'm on my third, but you know, here I am. I'm my fourth, working on my fourth. Crazy. Do you want to talk about the fourth or are you not to that point yet? I can't talk about it a lot. That's just me. Not, I haven't like, signed any secret agreement. It's just, that's, if I talk about it too much, I kill it. I have learned the hard way. But it's about a woman who is hiding her past from everyone. And she had an extremely unusual upbringing. Um, that is loosely based on a real family. And I just love it. I'm, I'm just, I think once in about a month, I'll really be into the final drafting phase for that book, which does not yet have a title. That's about all I can say right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in the process of getting Lady process. Sunshine out. Yeah. yeah so exactly. it's hard to have it too splintered. You know, you want to kind of be able to focus on the one and right. enjoy it coming out into the world. And your timing is good with COVID. I mean, at least things are opening up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm doing mostly virtual events, but I'm actually now got a handful of real in-person events on my schedule. And I'm so excited about that just to see readers and to see my my bookseller friends and just especially the ones that have endured, you know, that I'm so happy these bookstores are still here and people still supported them and that people really read a lot during COVID. That, that's that's a wonderful thing. And hopefully we'll, we'll continue. I have been amazed at the creativity of so many of these booksellers and bookshops and the things they've come up with. It's been amazing. It has. Yeah. And the support. Exactly. Well, what about what you've read and loved? I have, oh gosh, you know, when I'm drafting, I can't read a lot of fiction. So right now I'm mainly reading memoirs. I I read a lot of music memoirs recently, like Brandy Carlisle's book, Broken Horses is wonderful. And then Debbie Harry, who is, is a big part of Lady Sunshine, has a memoir called Face It, which is amazing too. But as far as fiction, there's a book called Honey Girl. Have you read that by Morgan? No, Marley? but I've seen it and I've heard oh. it's great, but I haven't read it yet. It's so good. It's all my loves, you know, coming of age. And it's very romantic in a, in a true way, um, beautifully written. What else have I read? Oh, right, Writers and Lovers. I kind of came late to that. I listened to the audiobook by Lily King. Right. And as a writer, I'm just telling all my family and friends, you know, if you want to understand me, listen to this book. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's a book about holding on to your dreams. And that I think is, is just resonates with me right now. It's just gorgeous. I've heard great things about it too. It's amazing because there are just so many books out there. And I'm always thinking, you know, if I just could read all day long every day, I'd make a lot more progress. I know. I have just a teetering stack of of books that I want to get to and that I know are amazing. And But when I'm drafting, I don't read a lot of fiction. I'm kind of too worried that I'll mimic someone's style or else that I'll be so jealous, you know, of how good it is that I'll be paralyzed and I won't write. So I'm doing a lot of nonfiction 
but yeah, I think some wonderful, wonderful books and, and even more coming out this summer and this fall. So that's exciting. I agree. I love nonfiction too. Mm-hmm. So I kind of mix it up and, and read across a bunch of genres. Mm-hmm. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining me on the Thoughts from a Page podcast today. I really enjoyed speaking with you about Lady Sunshine. Thank you, Cindy. I had a great time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Join my Patreon group as a page turner. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. Amy's book can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.